My name is Darren. They've got me on the wireless mic for the first time. And they turned it on and told me they'd mute it and turn it on when I got up here. And I was deathly afraid they'd turn it on while I was singing in the back. So, anyway. Good job. Thanks, guys. Um, I want to start, though. First, I just really wanted to um, apologize to the Parra family. I don't know if Natalie's in here or not. Uh, That was just a little miscommunication there. We love your family dearly, and we don't want to bring any more pain during a really trying time in your life right now. So um, please accept my apologies. We are a little clunky. We are a family. Uh, There was a sign this weekend we saw that says, some people call it chaos, we call it family. (laughs) So anyway. All right. So I'm excited. I'm the first of three. The, the staff brothers are out of town. I was going to say all the staff's out, but Kelsey's here. We're glad you're here, sister. We are glad you're here. And uh, somebody's got to keep an eye on us. And so I'm preaching this week, and then James next week, and Aaron the week after. And they, yeah, they affectionately called it the Desert Trio. And then, um, and then I'll, the other thing, too, I just wanted to welcome, I know we have a bunch of Long Beach singles in the house today, so we just want to welcome them. I heard you guys had a great bonfire. We are glad you guys are here. We, I love to see the singles getting together from all around the church. So that is a good thing. So I hope you guys are having a good weekend and you feel super welcomed and enjoy us here. So Jake and Scott keep telling, kept, so I got asked to preach a month ago. I knew the minute I was asked what I want to talk about. Um, and then they keep saying over and over again that our grace lesson was going to end last week. And I kept saying to myself, no, probably not going to end. <laughs> it's been a super good sermon, for, uh, sermon series for me personally, right? I'm, I'm a struggler, uh, just to get that out there right off the bat. But what I'm going to talk about today maybe isn't always the pretty side of grace. And it kind of maybe is the beginning of grace. And, um, but I think it's really, really important, and I really feel like this is a good topic for us to talk about. So... Um, I love that definition of grace, right? God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That is probably the best thing I've gotten out of this series. I really like um, that because there's a lot of things in my relationship with God that I'm just not very good at. And I appreciate God getting me there and making it good, making me whole, and making my imperfection all right. That's one side of Darren. The other side of Darren is this kind of professional contractor, business owner, been in the church for a while, guy that likes the God doing things for him, but he doesn't like the part where he can't do it himself. I don't really like that part of me. In fact, I grew up in a really large family, and if you wanted to get noticed, you had to stand out a little bit. And then I kind of lived a really bad life before I became a Christian, not that we all didn't. But um, so when I started doing good and really became, I really love this whole idea of morality. And so um, I pretty much got to this point in my life where if you told me I couldn't do something, it was like a bad word to me. It's like, oh, yeah, I can't do it. Just watch me. I will prove you wrong. And so I've kind of in a little bit of my life gone through life trying to prove or find value in, in proving that I could do things that other people said I couldn't. And so that's kind of, in a way, had me had a little bit of struggle with this Christianity thing, right? I can do this. 
And then I'll have just enough success at Christianity to make get a big head and think I've got it figured out. <laughs> and then after a couple of years, right on the face. Right? So I, don't, I like the God doing for me part, but I don't like the I can't do it for myself part. So, so with that in mind, I've always kind of had difficulty with feelings of failure. And I've had feelings of struggle with feelings of weakness. I appreciate Jasmine getting up and sharing. I know it's powerful when we share our weaknesses because we're all weak, right? Yeah. And so we connect when people share that. But feelings of failure and weakness, they're not something I really want to dwell in very often. And failure for me also has a really close traveling companion. It's called shame. And so shame tends to hang out a little bit when I feel those feelings of failure and weakness. And so there's been times in my Christian walk where I've just tried to avoid those those feelings. And there's a lot in the kingdom of God and in God's love for me that I can just focus on the positives, completely avoid the negatives. But there is a time and a place to look at the negatives. So we're going to get in Romans a little bit today. Turn your Bibles over to Romans chapter 1. All right. Um, Romans is Paul's great treatise on grace. All right. And I want to say a couple of things here. Paul's not really teaching us about grace in Romans per se. He's interpreting Jesus. Jesus is the one who teaches us about grace. Paul's really just expanding on it and helping us to understand it a little bit better. And if you get into the book of Romans, it is the depths of God's love for us, right? But if you read the book of Romans, you realize the first three chapters aren't exactly a pretty picture. They're really difficult. Because Paul spends the first three chapters basically laying out a very excellent case for our lostness and our sinfulness, apart from the gospel. And really our inability to really do or be anything good apart from the gospel. And if you haven't read... Those parts are spent some time. I don't know that you want to live there, but they're good for your soul. And I'm going to attempt to lay out a case today as to why it is good to look at your lostness to really appreciate God's love for you. So I'm going to, read, I'm going to talk to, about a word today a lot. It's called morality. And Paul, when he gets in the book of Romans, he basically takes a hatchet to your tree of morality and chops that thing till it is sitting on the ground. And he does that with the Jews, he does it with the Gentiles, he does it with the non-religious, and he does it with the religious people. And the word morality means the distinction between right and wrong, good and bad. Basically, what I'm going to get at today, you guys, and I tend to, when I write lessons, I, I really want to preach to everybody, but I probably more aim these at the Christians. Because these are the things that I'm dealing with on my journey. So basically what I'm getting at today is we tend to use our morality, our goodness, and what we do good is our foundation and our solid ground on which to feel good about ourselves as opposed to the gospel. The problem with that, as we read the book of Romans, is that conflicts with God's view. And so I titled my lesson today, The Conflict. Here's the conflict, basically. My summation of it. We think we are good. God does not. Yeah. Now, do not confuse that with worth and value. You can absolutely value something that is not being or acting good. Yeah. We all have children. <laughs> not all of us. I'm sorry. Not everybody. But we've been children. Right? 
And we've experienced, hopefully, some love even when we were pretty stinky people. Yeah. Right? And so, just because I say that we think we're good and God does not, does not mean that God does not value us. Yeah. And we're going to get into that a little bit more as we go here. So that's, that's the conflict, this disagreement we have between uh, God and us. So anyway, we should be living with God based on the gospel as opposed to based on our own goodness. And I'm here to tell you that you can't do both. You can only run on one power source. Your goodness or God's goodness. And I think in my life sometimes I, I like rely on my goodness until it blows a tire. And then I rely on God's goodness. All right. So let's read Romans 1 together. Romans 1, 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is a power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, the righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I love this verse. It's a top ten verse in the Bible for me. And Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. You know, um, the gospel basically means news. So back, really where this word comes from is this whole idea like a king when he would go out to fight his enemies and he'd take his army with him. When they won victory, he would send a herald back to his people. And he would let them know. I mean, they didn't have any ways of communication that we have, right? So when, when, you know, when people saw the king and the army going out to war, it could mean a lot of things, right? Gee, I hope they win, because if they don't, guess who's showing up next, right? And so everybody was on edge, waiting to find out what happened, and the king would send a herald back. We won. It's okay. That's good news. You can relax. Victory has been attained. And that's basically what the word gospel, where that word comes from. And so the gospel is that kind of news for us, right? It's just basically news. It's an announcement of victory. And so why would somebody be ashamed of that? That's a good question. Why would somebody be ashamed of that kind of news? And that's what I want to explore a little bit here. Paul, I think, I think as I think about it, well, Paul, I can understand. He, like Paul traveled and preached the gospel, right? And it didn't always work out so well, did it? I mean, it did work out, but there was a lot of people that were against him. Like, he got ran out of town a couple of times, right? Got thrown in jail once or twice. Had people throw rocks on him until he was dead, right? Got stoned. He even got invited in Athens up to the city council to express these new views. And generally what happened, and this is what happened almost in every town, a few people responded to the good news. But most people looked at this gospel with a little bit of a sneer and a little bit of a mock, and it wasn't good news to them. They thought it was stupid. And I realize I'm talking to a group of people, generally speaking, in here. I mean, you could be coming to church because, you know, you're supposed to, and you want to be a better person, and the kids need it. But, you know, still this news that we're going to get into here, it, it, not everybody receives it well. And I realize most of us disciples, we, we really saw it as good news. But one thing I found in my life as a Christian is that I got converted on the fact that I need Jesus. Yeah. That I'm a mess. That I'm a sinner. But you know, I have at times gone back to getting away from that reason 
and getting back to, well, Darren does this, and Darren got with that person, and Darren shared here, and Darren gives that much. Well, at least I don't do what that guy does, and I don't do what I see on this TV. And I can get into that kind of morality-based Christianity. Another one of the, the translations for this word ashamed in the Bible is offended. What could be offensive about the gospel? And with Paul, I kind of get it. But Paul basically said, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to share it no matter what. Why? Because it is the power of God. So why is it powerful? What makes the gospel powerful in your life? Why is the power of God most often found in places that the world mocks? That's because it is. It's not always found in the most obvious places. I think, I think this good news on one level to most people initially doesn't sound good. And here's some reasons why. Because it can sound like this. If, if the gospel basically says this, okay, you guys, it says that if God's got to do for you what you can't do for yourself, what does that say about you? It says basically that we are so sinful and so inadequate this is not a fun message to tell everybody. <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. All right? And, and I'm going to kind of bring it out a little bit more. We basically are inadequate. The cross says we're so bad and so wicked that we can't save ourselves. And if you're an independent, self-made, I kind of got this type person, that's probably not good news to you. Mm-hmm. Right? i kind of done it. I've fought my way. I'm better than so-and-so. That could be... That could be not good news to you, but if that was it, that would be, that'd be tough, but it gets worse. Because not only are we unable to fix and save ourselves, we're actually so desperately wicked, it takes God himself to do it. No person, no group of people, no anything other than the God of the universe is able to save me. That's how bad I am. And not only... Does it take the God of the universe? He has to do it through serving and suffering and pain and hanging in there with me for days and days and days. So that's kind of a tough message for me to hear about myself sometimes. Because it doesn't sound real pretty. I like to be pretty. I like to put my best... I got my good shirt out today. I got my shoes on. I prayed about doing a good job so I could communicate God's truth clearly. Hoping for some pats on the back. Not really, but probably. I mean, you know, we're trying, we're performers. But the gospel in a lot of ways says some pretty, if you, if you think about it, you get past the churchy stuff, it says some not good things about us. Have you ever, I, I have this, have you ever heard of the, 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 the law of proportional responses? Proportional responses basically says that if there's an action, there should be a fairly equal reaction to it. Right? Have you ever like maybe like tried to talk to somebody about some little thing and they like blew up on you like oh my gosh I hit a nerve here. (laughs) That is a disproportional response, correct? You're like okay that does not fit what we're talking about over here. Well, the gospel is a proportionate response to our sinfulness. What God Himself has done and gone through is in proportion to our state of lostness and sinfulness. So you're like, I mean, I can barely grasp what God has done, I'm telling you. I've been trying for years to get a hold of it. 
I think one of the things that was good when the passion came out, right? We all went and saw it, and it caused such a stir because we were able. We didn't. We couldn't really understand what God did for us, but it helped. Yeah. It helped a lot. Yeah. But even seeing that, and and you lose it over time, right? You kind of get dull to it. Yeah. What God has done is so immense for us, and it says a lot about who we are. So I can see why people might be ashamed or even offended by this good news. All right? And then let's get back to morality, our own goodness. Where does that come from anyway? Morality is basically, you know, right and wrong, what's, what should and shouldn't be done. Where do we get that from? We get it from our own um, comparing of other people a lot of times. Really, a lot of morality is based on comparison. One of my favorite guys I listen to calls it comparagance. It's the arrogance of comparing. And really, you know, like we know we're all different. And we all don't have the same gifts, but yet there's this. We live in a performance world, a competitive world. We're competitive animals. We compare. And we can get our sense of good as long as we're just a little bit better than that guy or that group of people, then we can feel a little bit okay. We can get a sense of of goodness that, that we can stand on. A sense of stability. So do you get your stability and your good feelings from being better than other people? You get it from outperforming others, being wiser than others, being smarter than others, being around longer than others. I I, I like to call it chronological pride. It's a sickness we get as disciples when we've been in the church over 20 years. When they say, anybody been a disciple longer than 20 years and you get a stand-up, it's kind of cool, right? But it could not be just be a disciple. How about being married a long time or yeah. whatever, you know? And, and you're like, yeah, I'm pretty good. I made it. And there is some encouragement in that, you guys. I'm not trying to, like, say you can't ever feel those things. But you can't use them for your identity. All right? So um, the gospel truly understand. If you truly understand the gospel, it tells you that your morality and good, goodness give you no moral advantage over any other person. We say the ground is level at the foot of the cross, but do we really live that way? Truly understood. If you're that lost, I mean, I mean, who are you going to compare yourself to? I mean, how much shame should we feel as compared to how people are looking at me or what I've done? I mean, it really is a level ground because... The lostness is so great. We have no advantage. And as I talk about this, guys, don't think I'm not a fan of morality. Please make good choices. I remember when the kids, when Nikki and I would leave on a date when the kids were teenagers, my daughter would yell at us as we went out the door, make good choices. (laughs) Ha ha. Pretty funny, because I know who's going to get in trouble here. But So I, I am a fan of morality, you guys. I'm not saying let's not be moral people. Yeah. We need to be. Let's not rely on our morality. Yeah. Let's rely on the gospel. Amen. All right? So, um, and I can see how that might offend some people. They're like, hey, I'm a good guy. I don't do this. I take care of my family. i got a nice house. I'm not out doing what these people are doing down there on the corner. And there's a lot of judgy that gets in there when you're relying on your morality. And I don't know who struggles with judgy in here, but I do. All right? 
I'm not going to ask you to raise hands. I'll just figure you all should raise your hand. Right? So um, I think that might be offensive for some people. That might make some people ashamed of the gospel if you truly understood. And then I also think morality also gives you a certain level of self-control, which really means our right to self-govern. You know, which I really like to be in control of my own life because I like it to be all about me. Which is not a good thing, but I still like to do it. Yeah. Instead of make it about other people. Yeah. About loving God and loving others. I like it to be about me and what's best for me. Um, and I don't like to give up my autonomy. Isn't it funny how I don't want anybody telling me what to do? It's kind of a joke when you think about it, right? Like you're drowning in the middle of the ocean, right? In your sin, right? That's what we're talking about here. And somebody throws you the life preserver and it lands over there. And you're like, no, I want it over here. (laughs) It's kind of foolish, right? But we don't want anybody telling us what to do. We don't want anybody telling us to stop or make, you know, challenging us on our choices. We do not want to be challenged. But if you're that messed up, can you really sit there and argue? Can you really get into an argument with God? If you understand it, no. But, you know, we hate the S word. Who knows what the S word is? Submission. <laughs> but truly, if you really, really understand the gospel, submission is going to be a lot easier. Yeah. And then there's all this suffering and pain and serving that it took to conquer our failure. That does not sound like good news. If you're looking for an easy and safe life as a Christian, and if we're truly honest, we all kind of are, Right? We don't, that doesn't sound very much like good news, especially when the good news tells us that that's how you need to live too. Serving and suffering. And yes, there will be pain. So, um, if you think I'm overemphasizing all this lostness and badness, and I realize in my attempt today I'm going to take us all the way down the pit. I may be digging you a pit, but I might be digging me a pit right now, okay? With all of you. But if you think I'm overemphasizing this, our badness and our loss, then I encourage you to spend some good time in Romans 1 through 3. It's in there. I'm not making this stuff up. I don't take any joy in getting up and telling us that we're bad people. Some people kind of get their kicks that way. (laughs) They do, right? I am not doing that. But the challenge is, if you don't embrace this, you miss out on the love part deeply. You will not truly understand it. If we ne- I think we neglect these feelings of weakness and failure at our own peril. What if our aversion to ugly truth about ourselves might be the one thing that takes the power right out of the gospel? That's, that's an interesting question. Because if you can accept, and I know you're all kind of looking at what I'm talking about today, and We all wrestle with the things that are said from the pulpit and know they're not all right because they came from the pulpit. I'm trying. But if you can embrace and accept this picture of you that I'm painting and of me and of us that I'm painting, and then you can hear some other things about you as well. Because if it says that you can't save yourself, if it says that We are so unable to save ourselves, and yet God has moved heaven and earth to save us. If we're so wicked and so lost that it took God himself to endure pain and suffering so great that we have a hard time even grasping it, if it says 
that we are that lot and yet God did that much, then what does that say about you? It says you're worth it. And that's where we need to get to. When we understand our lostness, then we begin to understand our value. Um, I know I'm worth it because I know what God did for me. You know, worth and value are funny things. I'm in this couple of months of doing this identity series um, in my family group, and I've been studying out my identity for a long time. Identity is, and worth, so let me say this, worth and value are funny things. We generally put a value on almost everything we do and have. I don't know about you, I tend to value things that I just got a lot more than things that I've had for a while, right? But we tend to put a value on everything we have, everything we do. Okay, that really was good, that was okay, that means a lot, that helped a lot, this was a great gift, this wasn't. That's a really nice thing I have. That thing I don't care about. And so we value, we're used to valuing, right? I think in a lot of ways we can also value people around us. We'll place a value on them around us at times. And I also think that we're not very good at placing value. And what I mean by that is we tend to put a lot of value on things that don't matter that much and not enough value on the things that really do. And I think also when it comes to placing value, you know where I really stink at it? Is when I, how I value myself. Most of the time I value myself very low, and then it's, it's contrasted by these huge mountains where I think I'm amazing. But it's all based on me. And it's based on my goodness a lot of times. And that's why this lesson, this whole concept kind of speaks to me a little bit. It's so important for all of us to think about where you get your value from, where you get your worth from. If you get your worth and your value from the right place, you'll live a healthy life. If you get it from the wrong place, then your value will be based on your performance. It will be based on your ability to be competitive and achieve and win. It'll be based on what other people think about you. People will define you and your worth. They will define you and your skills. They will define you if you let them. And we know that's true. We can all be mad at them, but we do it too. And we cannot let your identity come from any other place but one thing. They say that you can't get your value and your worth, and I know this is true, from anything that you can lose. That's placing your life on shifting sand. If you think about it, there's really only one thing you can't lose. You can lose your money. We know that one, right? Sprouts wings and flies away. You can lose your health. You can lose your memories. You can lose your wisdom. You can lose your spouse. You can lose your family. You can lose everything in this world can be lost. We hope it doesn't, but it can. There's only one thing that can't be lost, and that's your relationship with God. And that's how he feels about you. And all this bad news, good news stuff shows you your worth and your value. 
So the funny thing about worth is that it's truly understand, understood in understanding how sinful we are. Let's look over in Romans chapter 5. Six through eight says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, you were a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a bad sinner. You are. And I say that because I'm a bad sinner and it takes one to know one. And it's good, kind of good to be in the same boat together, right? But you're so worth it. You're worth it. You're worth what God has done for you. This scripture, the blood and the pain, the cross, it says what it took for God to get you, but it also says everything about how valuable you are. And then there's this timing part of the scripture, this just the right time when Christ was still sinners. I always used to think about it, you know, when I got converted and when people shared with me. But I think as I've been a Christian over the years, I realize that God not just suffered to bring me to Christ, he suffered a lot since then. God is a long-suffering God. I don't know about you, I can put up with like some irritating person for like a little bit of time. Not that I'm ever irritating. But you know, you can like, we're disciples, we can deny ourselves for like short periods, right? Have you ever been stuck with that person? It's so funny, I was talking with a friend today. Have you ever been stuck with this person that's like pushing your buttons forever and you can't get rid of them? Maybe it's a coworker. Hopefully it's not your spouse. I'm just joking. I'm trying to keep it light. Right? But, you know, it's doable to long suffer for short periods. But then I guess that'd be short suffering, wouldn't it? God long suffers with you. God long suffers with me. And I feel like if he's long suffered with me this long, I'm feeling pretty good about the future. Because I know he's going to hang in there with me. But you know, those feelings, that, that, that energy, that motivation, that desire to hang in with somebody who's not in a good place for days and days and years and years, those feelings are only reserved for the most highly loved and valued. You don't hang in there with things you don't care about, you guys. Yeah. God hangs in with you because he cares. He cares. And that is good to know. And, you know, um, like, you know, I was thinking about when you really value and esteem something, it really increases your patience. So, and then there's this one more thing I'd like to just kind of as I wrap here. If everyone is lost, if we got to stop letting our morality blind us to our real state of neediness, it's kind of a good way to sum this up, right? Don't let your morality blind you to your need. Then guess what? We're all in the same boat together. We are all in the same boat together. And then if we get that, one of the great parts about this, we can stop seeing our fellow man as an obstacle. Right? Or a competitor, but as an equal. Equally lost, 
and equally valuable. Now, I realize I stand here as a saved disciple, and I'm going to heaven. I'm honestly of the mindset I'm living in my eternity already. My eternity started the day I came up out of the water. It's just locations that are going to change for me. And so I'm not trying to say you're not right with God. But there's still a point where we get right with God and we stop embracing this part of our, this part of our nature that causes us to also lose how deeply we are loved. So that's the conflict. We see ourselves as good and God sees us as sinners. The way we get our worth from our goodness and the truth that our worth comes from what God will do for us. And there's a lot of paradoxes in this Christian life, and I feel like that's one of them. And I just want to close with this scripture. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. Thank you, guys.